0: Pod Save the Queen!
1: Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen. We have a special episode for you here today. I am your host, Anne Gripper, and a few weeks ago I was left wondering how I should address an email to Debrett's. They are the arbiters of kind of society and etiquette, and normally I would just start an email, hi but is that really appropriate when you are addressing this kind of esteemed organ anyway however i wrote the email it all turned out okay and i am now joined by Rupert Wesson who has kindly said he will talk us through a bit of society and etiquette and answer some brilliant listener questions so rupert welcome to the show
0: hello and thank you very much for inviting me along
1: so how did you end up at the brets what is your what is your credentials as a as an arbiter of these matters Goodness
0: me um i've I've had a career of two halves in the first half of my career I was in the Army. I was an officer in the British Army, and I was lucky enough to serve all over the world and um, when I left the military, I got into the space of training of coaching of education management leadership, all of that good stuff um, and then started conversations with debrett who, in addition to publishing the peerage, much of which later. Um, They have a part of the business that is involved in that space, in coaching, educating, training, for want of a better word. Um, And it was just a perfect match for me. And so with my experience in the military, I have a good knowledge of the the intricacies of, of British and indeed international etiquette. Um, but it's also a, a love and a value of, of, of training people, of educating people and explaining how these these things that I've picked up in my life can help everybody else in their life.
1: Well, we sound like we're in very good hands. And certainly the military, they have a very kind of right and proper, there is a proper way for things to be done, isn't there?
0: Very much so. And we always strived to do it, Um the risk of making us sound really, really dated. Whenever we were back in, in barracks and we were having dinner, we'd all sit around in, in suits every night for our dinner at a big long table, all all very Downton Abbey. Um, but yeah, we, that was only when we were in barracks and when we we're deployed. We, we try and keep up standards, but operations overrule all.
1: And did you get to come across any of the royals during your time as the, with the military? Because obviously they have had huge involvement as supporters and you know, head of head of different units and things in different ways.
0: Absolutely, yeah. paths crossed on a number of occasions. Um, all of the, the members of the royal family have um, honorary appointments. They are the colonels of all all the regiments. Will have a, a royal appointee as, as the colonel. So invariably you will meet um, members of the royal family, but actually you, you meet them in day-to-day business as well. They, they did have day-to-day jobs uh, and, and our paths crossed a number of occasions.
1: And what does it mean to, as kind of with your military hat on, as someone who was serving, what does it mean when the royals do get involved in terms of the impact that it has on the, the troops, as it were, the morale, and what it, how important is their role?
0: Goodness me! I think um, if you were to ask most soldiers um, who they who they have allegiance to, none would say, "Oh, it's yes, it's the government." Um, all would say, "Well, it's the Queen." And you, um, when you join, you swear allegiance to to the Crown. So, uh, pretty much everybody in the military, I think, would. Whilst we recognise that the the Queen doesn't run the country. Um, Actually for the military swearing allegiance to Her Majesty the Queen actually works very well for us So having that involvement of the military which is goes back hundreds of years actually um, Gives a sense of identity um, To to the military and every military cat badge has a has a crown on it uh, And so we're very conscious that that our loyalty is is to the crown
1: so the military world was left behind, and you are now at Debrett's. So, for our listeners who may not be familiar with Debrett's, you mentioned the peerage earlier. So, what is Debrett's, and how did it start?
0: Debrett's is uh, at one level it's a publishing company. It's a two hundred and fifty year old publishing company, and uh, two hundred and fifty years ago, uh, a gentleman called John Debrett had the inspired idea of, I guess you could say, cataloguing the nobility. Uh, he created a book called The Peerage, and that was a list of all of the people who had been given titles by the monarch. And it was the first time that they'd all been gathered together. and, and What was interesting about that is that in, um, in Britain, in London in 1769, to have power and influence, you had to be in that book. Or if you had power and influence, you'd find yourself in that book pretty quickly and so from that point um it's interesting actually really from that point on as the industrial revolution took shape the you could have power and influence not through being a member of the the peerage but nevertheless at the time it was a catalogue of the great and good the people who um were important influential typically wealthy too um in the country and the book continues to be published to this day um we publish it every four years and it's a mammoth task to keep keep that updated um, it's in fact the hard copies have now even sold out so it's still popular um, but you can still get it in in digital format and, and and we're working towards digitizing the whole thing because it's an amazing source of reference about all the title families uh, of the country going back hundreds of years.
1: So working towards digitizing the whole archive?
0: Um working towards certainly digitizing the last the, the latest okay. edition of the peerage.
1: And when is Absolutely. the new one due out?
0: We do it every four years and the last one was uh was last year.
1: Oh, so while well to wait. I've Russell and I have got a bit of time to work on trying to get in there. So <laughs> <laughs> might exactly. be a bit of a lofty ambition in that time, maybe one day. Anyway, right. First of our listener questions. So let's go back to basics. Jazzy 50 says, start from the beginning. I don't even know what sort of, what it is, society. So I guess you've got, you've got royalty, you've got aristocracy, you've got a society, you've got peerages. So what's, what's the pecking order in the hierarchy and how do titles work? And there's so much in all of
0: just that. There is loads of stuff in that. Um, let's unpick those, those words you used there. Um, as, as we're about to discover, uh, I'm not a deliberately vague person, but, but some of these questions are so big. And, and much of what you think is laid down and ordered and formal in British society is anything but. But let's let's give this a go. So royalty is belonging to the royal household. Uh, it's the monarch and the descendants of the monarch. But actually, where how, how wide you cast your net on that? Um, depends on all sorts of things. So it could just be the immediate royal family. You could say it's the royal list of the, the sovereign grant those who are granted money um, by the country for their royal duties, or you could look down the list of succession, people who the order in which people succeed to the crown, and you could say, well, we'll draw a line there, and anybody above that is royal. So it's 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 yeah, it's a really really broad area. Um, I think you threw in the. the word aristocracy Um, that's an interesting word that comes from from Greece via France and and it's the idea of best power uh, a country ruled by the best people Um, a country ruled by the most important noble people and and traditionally um, certainly in this country the people with um, wealth and connections to the monarch were the people who were ruling the country with the house of lords so aristocracy it's um it's a label uh you could say it's a label for anybody with a title um but it's it it doesn't have any specific meaning so you couldn't really throw a a net around and say those people in the aristocracy i recognize how vague and unhelpful this is um society that's another really interesting i mean society generally is an idea of people who interact with each other and the idea often when people use the word society is they're talking about wealthy powerful influential titled people but again how you chop that up is is entirely down to you peerages is actually probably the easiest thing the peerage um peerages is a peer of the realm is somebody who's who has one of the five big titles and we'll talk about um we can talk about the five big titles uh in a minute so yes if you've you've been granted um a peerage title that means you are a peer and so that that almost is is the most useful category we can we can provide there useful label
1: so the five big titles are they what you need to have to get into the de book and what are they
0: yes so if we start um if we start in in order let's and, and the, people call me the ranks or degrees of the peerage and we start with the duke then we go have a marquess, then an earl then a Viscount, then a Baron. Those are the the big five, if you like. Um, Only the holder of the title is a peer. So if you're a Duke and you marry your wife as a Duchess, she, strictly speaking, is not a peer.
1: Oh, interesting. And also it's interesting that um, Prince Edward, who is the Earl of Wessex, it's not even that he is, you know, just below his brothers who are Dukes and obviously they're all princes, but there could be a Marquis who would have a greater rank than him, although presumably being a royal trumps everything.
0: Yes, in and there are lots of different um, orders of, of precedence, you could say. So there is a thing called the Order of Precedence, um, but then there's the Order of Succession, and, and they're similar but, but, but different. Um, and there's a lot of... Um, it, it's not legislated, and some people opt not to take a title... Um, and and some people do, and then you have the business where a um, somebody who's who's a duke can then use one of his lesser t- lesser titles, for example, his a, a marquis of, of somewhere, and give that to um, his son, and then you have which that's known as a courtesy title. And then uh, amongst all of that, the, the children of all of these people in the big five, their their family can take courtesy titles, um, typically lord or lady, or the honourable.
1: Um, I'm going to ask a couple of questions about sort of whether that system is modernizing in any way. So there was an interesting question that came in from a listener, which I'm just trying to find, which I saved it a bit later on originally, but it seems to be good here. Um, what is the current status on titles and peerage and surrogacy that came from JK, just in case. And from my point of view, I'd be interested to know, is there any modernization around the kind of male female divide? Because we've seen that change in the Royal family where, um, you know, if Prince George had been a girl, she would have been, been the heir to the throne. Um, but has that change filtered through other parts of society as well?
0: Uh, the short answer is no. Um, since, yeah, since 2004, if, if memory serves me correctly, that, that, that rule was changed so that um, it didn't matter whether the, the firstborn was a male or female, they would, they would be the one to inherit title. But that only exists within the royal family and doesn't exist for the, the broader peerage. Um, it, it would seem to make sense to change that. Um, but uh, that's not happening at the moment. Um, so we we watched that that space. What's quite interesting there are a handful of titles that actually can be passed down the female line. Um, it's a relatively small proportion of all the titles um, and they are they are listed in the um, in various debrets publications. but yeah, so the short answer is no it was a, a change made specifically that applies only to the royal family but not to the wider peerage.
1: And on the surrogacy question, is that something that has
0: cropped up that you're aware of? Yes. I, um, the surrogacy hasn't changed of late, um, but the, the the law, which I think again was around 2004, now states that um, if a child is born in surrogacy, if, um, if it is genetically related to both parents, once a child is legally adopted then then they are um, in line for succession as as any other any other child.
1: Is so, you know, which, isn't, uh, which
0: isn't true of adoption interestingly enough so adopted children can adopt um a title, but they won't adopt the the peerage title
1: How interesting and it's it's interesting how different bits of society change it at different speeds and maybe pod save the queen is going to launch its first ever campaign for, you know, just, justice for daughters, but uh, the, po- the, the posh ones who can get a title, but um, anyway, so that's, I think that's really interesting, those different aspects and kind of the different layers. So even within this big layer sort of at the top of, you know, the upper class, there are layers even within that and how, you know, you've talked about being in the military and sitting around like Downton Abbey, but how different do we think that world is from the normal day to day for people who are, you know, the peers, the royals, the, the society? And is it day to day or is it just when, a, when they get together, kind of, you know, language or deference to each other and how they manage their lives, I guess?
0: Goodness me! Yes, a lot of things to unpack there. Um, I, I think there's always an association that anybody with a title has money, and and that's not true anymore. Um, there are people with titles who who live um, ordinary lives, the like of which you and I would would recognise. Um, so it it runs the, the the full the full scale, and there are people who have lots of money and no titles whose life would also be something that perhaps we wouldn't recognise. Quite so readily. Um, yes, there are certain sort of behaviours, but these um, these inherited behaviours they perhaps come because these these groups of people have um, have long associations as families, long friendships. Uh, they tend to go to the same schools. Uh, perhaps they coalesce when they get to maybe university. So those those behaviours um, become ingrained and reinforced but of course there are very few of of those people who would only stay in that world it would be crazy i think their their life would be shallow and boring if they only ever mixed with with people who had the same background as as them so uh, and, and and many of them e- even if they do have money in their family um inherently that that these 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 aren't, they they won't maintain that money if they just sit back they have to run the family the family office, as they call it, the family businesses, they have to run them like businesses. They have to be smart business people and to, to make the most of the assets that, that have been passed down to them over the generations. So yes, at one level, you could pick a group of people and say, goodness me, their behavior and the language is entirely different from that that I recognize. But then at the same token, you could find plenty of people um, who, who are just like you and me,
1: just like us absolutely um and I think I guess that's the same in all kinds of bits of society, you know, like our, our family would have particular traditions and way of talking and things that are unique to us and are things that have carried on over time because we spend time together and, and talk in a particular way. And we're probably the only ones who will ever understand why the Thomas Crown affair is funny. And it's all to do with a lockdown Zoom quiz where my dad decided that that was the thing that we should have about eight questions on, leaving everybody else absolutely baffled. Anyway, enough a new tradition is,
0: A new tradition is born in your household. Exactly, so, uh, exactly. This is, this is the thing about Debrets. We are the authority in etiquette. But people have this perception that etiquette is British, it's posh, um, it's exclusive, it's elitist. But, but actually every group, society, country, region of the world has its own etiquette. Your own family has its own etiquette. So uh, I, the British etiquette is fascinating. Um, we have been... Uh, net exporters, I think, of etiquette uh, as a country over the last few hundred years. But that doesn't mean that we haven't absorbed um, etiquette and culture from from other um, countries. So um, what we're finding actually in Debrez more and more, people are saying, well, come and talk to us about British etiquette. But while you're about it, could you talk about the Middle East or the Far East or whatever it might be? So we don't just see etiquette as being something that's exclusively British. Um, and one of the great advantages, having been in the British Army, is that I've served all over the world and had a chance to mix with people from different countries and, and observe at close hand how they do things differently. And it's not a question that anybody's etiquette is better than anybody else's. There are lots of things that you, you pick up and admire from other cultures and lots of things that people pick up from your own culture and, and take back into their own, and that's that's how it spreads. So. It's interesting. People think of, of etiquette as being British, but but the clue is in the word. For example, etiquette is not an English word; it comes from the French. So no, etiquette is is global. And this, the whole point about etiquette, and this is really why why we've had a, uh, found ourselves building f- your know, coaching training business, is because if the more people, the greater the ability to connect with people, or the greater range of people that you have an ability to connect with, the more successful you will be in personal, professional life.
1: So I think I'm going to attempt a definition of etiquette as being the sort of correct and proper and socially accepted and expected way to behave in a given situation, whatever that situation might be, and it can adapt between sort of cultures and different things. So, okay, so that said, if I was going to meet the Queen... I mean, hopefully it might happen one day. What advice and rules would you be giving me so that I didn't absolutely disgrace myself?
0: I think uh, I go back to this idea of rules. There aren't really rules. This is one of the things that is um, uh, befuddling to people from outside of the UK. As a society, we we don't really have rules. We have guidelines. Generally speaking, once you understand the guidelines, you can actually break most of them. Um, so, no, I, I, there aren't really rules on on meeting the Queen. There are protocols, uh, and, and again, a lot of these are contextual, but broadly speaking, when you meet the Queen, um, the protocol is that you would bow if you're a man or you would curtsy if you're a woman. But these are not big elaborate gestures, they're quite understated. Um, and actually, you don't have to do those if you're not a subject of the Queen. If you're uh, American, for example, then you don't have to bow or curtsy. But it's 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 a a nice thing to do to recognise that you're you're speaking to Her Majesty the Queen, one of the most recognised figures around the world. Okay, interesting.
1: Good to know. And it's interesting because there were an awful lot of questions that came in around this subject about how do you curtsy properly and when and how to. So here they are. Nicole Annette said, I would love to know how members of the royal family know who to bow to and curtsy to and when. JK, just in case, again, saying, when is it suitable to bow or curtsy to royal children? Um, Tasha Antonakis asking, with Harry and Meghan leaving, does that affect who curtsies to whom? Um, I noticed when I was watching um, Darkest Hour recently that Churchill bowed to the king and then walked sort of slowly backwards, making sure he didn't hit anything, so he didn't turn his back on him um, before to get to the edge of the room before turning around and walking out. You know, is that what you have to do? So what, is, what, what should we be doing around? Well, how should we do it properly in the
0: first instance? Let's start with, uh, for me, the easiest question first, which is your last question. Uh, partly easiest because it's the one I can remember. Um, no, you don't have to back out of the room. There are, in fact, there are only two people who are, um, for whom protocol says that they should back out of the room. One is the Queen's Equerry, and we can talk about equaries later on. And then the other is the Marshal of the Diplomatic Corps, I think his, his title is, but he's effectively the, the liaison between Her Majesty the Queen and the foreign embassies uh, and commissions in in the UK. So, they officially um, are required to reverse. Um, Nobody else is, um, for for good, sensible, practical (laughs) reasons um somebody once suggested uh, to me that actually nowadays they could do it just do it with reversing noises and you have to make the noise yourself and you reverse <laughs> up. Um, uh, it's a nice idea um but no actually there are only two people that have to do it it's quite a nice thing I think when you to do in life generally the idea that you you don't suddenly spin round on somebody and show them your back but you sort of move gently away from a group of people rather than turning around within the circle of people you're talking to for example or perhaps as you go out of the door rather than sort of letting the door slam behind you, gracefully close the door, and, and making eye contact if feasible with the people that you've just been talking to.
1: And how would I do a proper curtsy?
0: How do you curtsy? It's it's very understated. Um, now, I appreciate this is a podcast. Uh, I, I, I could demonstrate, but... Um, I'm not sure that would come across, and I'm not sure I'd make it back up to the microphone afterwards. No, it's a, it's a very a very low thing, but you put one foot behind the other, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very gentle dip. And I mean, some people um, don't even move their feet these days, but it's just effectively almost a bow from the, from the waist. Uh, and in the same way that, that men will nod the head rather than actually making a huge elaborate bow from the, from the waist. Sorry, yes, the courtesy is a little dip. Sorry, not a, a bow at the waist, but it's a, it's a small dip. Sort of like a little bob. A little bob, precisely, yeah, yes. A little bob. Some and people make a little bit more of it, but that's that's not required.
1: Are there right and wrong ways to do it, or is essentially it's just nice that you had a go and did it?
0: I th- yes, I think it's more about the the recognition of it. Uh, and I think the formality of the occasion, if it's a grand occasion and you're, you're, you're being formally introduced, you make more of it. If it's a much more relaxed occasion, and, and don't forget, I mean, the, the royal family, some of them will do 500 events a year and some will be super formal like the opening of parliament uh, or investitures where people are uh, knighted um, or whatever award they're given. And then some are much less formal visits to communities all around the UK. So as ever, context is is important.
1: And in terms of the royal family, knowing who bows and curtsies to who and when, because they they don't do it every time they see each other. And I, can you can you talk us through the mysteries? I you know that. <laughs> well, I do. Well, I do know that, but I shall let you explain because this it is a question.
0: It, it all comes down to uh, the order of precedence, which is quite complex. So, if you if you take um, on the male side, the Duke of Edinburgh, the heir apparent, the sovereign's uh, younger sons, grandsons, cousins women, the queen, daughter, granddaughters, cousins. Everyone. So it is actually laid down. It's all mapped out beautifully. And I talk about the order of precedent, which is similar, but not the same as uh, the order of succession. But, but all of these things are are laid down. But again, um, the, the degree to which it's done, and I think it would probably be fair to say that the younger members of the family are probably a little bit more relaxed about it than the more senior members of the family so I think things are changing slowly
1: and I think also we see sometimes I think Theresa May got sort of noticed like why didn't she curtsy and it was it was because she actually already seen whichever royal it was I think it must have been the queen earlier in the day behind closed doors and had done her curtsy and it's like it's it's like an apple it's it's one a day (laughs) is the right it's the right thing to do
0: absolutely I mean in many ways it's not dissimilar from from the military career from saluting where the idea is that you'd salute at the beginning of the day at the end of the day and, and you wouldn't have to keep doing it but when you're when you're sort of on a show and all oh, well, they don't know that they've curtsied or it, sometimes it makes sense um I noticed that Theresa May did do a spectacularly large curtsy um and maybe that followed on her being chastised early on for <laughs> yeah, being perceived curts- as not not doing perhaps she was overcompensating
1: her curtsying was always a bit interesting and um, and children do they get curtsied and bowed to, or are they not important enough yet
0: do you know that's again? It's one of these things that isn't legislated. Um, I mean, if anybody can go onto the um, the the website of the royal family and 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 the rules for the public meeting are are brief in the extreme. It would seem to be influenced by age. Eighteen years old. It would be when they were conducting their own private. Uh, so it's their own official engagement so if they were the only royal at an engagement then unquestionably people would, would, would be doing that but typically the royal family are not doing formal solo engagements until they're reaching around the age of 18 anyway but um, so far as I'm aware that's not, not laid down, not mandated So
1: I don't need to curtsy to Prince George if I bump into him in the park so much
0: Absolutely that's- not I think but, it might give him that's a bit great of thing if you wanted to.
1: <laughs> it might give him a bit of a surprise. Um, with Harry and Meghan leaving the family or leaving their roles as senior royals, Tasha Antonakis asks: um, does, Will that affect things in terms of the sort of deference and bowing and curtsying as they've retained their position in the order of succession?
0: Um, difficult one to know um, because um, Prince Harry has not left the family; he is still. A royal, but not undertaking royal public duties. So, my yes, my understanding would be that he is still um, in that order of precedence.
1: A few more last questions about the curtsy. I think there's a lot of curtsy and bowing fans and they would like it to be a bit more of a thing and a bit more frequent and they think bow is the perfect opportunity. So maybe this is our other campaign that we should be launching. So Haim, who's a Kiwi in the USA says, I'd like to understand more about the seeming departure of the bow and curtsy when the Royals are in contained settings, such as processing in the Abbey. It seems like so few people do it now. Do you think it's almost like a football stadium wave, meaning that if it starts before, before it gets to you, you're more likely to join in, which I thought was a lovely idea. The Mexican wave of curtsies <laughs> yes. traveling down the Abbey. Um, Jodie Lee just says, can we bring back the curtsy since handshaking is canceled? Um, and what happens if you don't bow or curtsy for the Queen? Um, yes, there we go. We'll leave that.
0: Last question first, um, not a lot. You're not going to be cast into the Tower of London. And as I said, not everybody is a subject of the Queen. So not everybody, not every human being would have to. Do it. It's a lovely thing too. It's a lovely way of showing respect. It's it's very subtle, uh, and and the queen might notice, but she's unlikely to pass judgment.
1: You're not going to get um, the hairdryer treatment. For <laughs> so I guess maybe maybe the question around the um, the the should we bring back the curtsy is what will be what will be the new etiquette in terms of how we. Greek people
0: in this post-lockdown world? A subject I have uh, given a lot of thought to. Um, I I think what for for me is most important is the idea of eye contact, of smiling, of actually paying attention to the other person. And and, we used to do it with a handshake. We're not doing that so much more, but I think if you pay attention, eye contact, a smile, wow, that, that makes a huge difference. But focusing your attention on them uh, rather than just sort of glancing up from your mobile phone for a moment, actually um, <laughs> focusing some attention. That, that for me is more important. Uh, and, and this is the thing about etiquette. Because of course, if you look around the globe, then uh, in those countries um, in Asia, Southeast Asia, the, the bow is quite normal. And I know when I'm doing work in, in um, Asia, Southeast Asia, there's usually a handshake and a bow so for me, it doesn't. When I go to Asia now, I'm sure that we'll all look at each other and go, "Well, no, we're not shaking hands, but we'll we'll bow." So who knows that that could catch on?
1: So We saw a little bit of it sneaking in in the Commonwealth Service, where we had um, Prince Charles doing his namaste as he went down the the line of the line of greetings. So,
0: and, and now let's go back to that, because we um, somebody was asking about the uh, the Mexican wave. Yes, what's what's interesting is. There is no protocol um, about having to bow curtsy um, en masse um, when Her Majesty the Queen, for example, enters a, enters a, a room. Um, so that doesn't have to be done. What you would reasonably expect is that everybody would be standing, and that's all that's required. However, like all these things, there are lots of variations, and if you... Um, so the uh, state opening of parliament and her majesty walks in there is a westminster protocol that everybody bows and that um so that's an example of that, that that challenges the last rule about you don't all do the thing at the same time so yeah there are lots of there are lots of little little exceptions but generally speaking you no know, you don't everybody would stand um though the person um the people who would be Hosting the service at uh, Westminster Abbey, for example, they would have greeted the Queen uh, in in the um, at the door anyway, at the top of the steps. So they wouldn't have to do that. So it's it's just something that people sometimes do. Okay, good to
1: know. Emma S asks, do ro- do royals follow the order of rank when walking into a room at events, or does it not matter? And Adrian Rutherford says, does Kate have to st- start walking behind William when he becomes king?
0: She will. Uh, I'm pretty confident she will do that, yes. I think um, the style is becoming more relaxed, but I would be surprised if you didn't see that at various, various occasions. And I think the more formal the occasion, the more marked it would be. Um, Going back to the first question
1: Walking into a room Do they follow an an order of rank walking into a room?
0: Do they follow an order of rank walking into a room? Yes And again it's it's, um, context specific So the more formal the event Then yes they would absolutely follow the order of precedence uh, And the Queen would come in last And so the the example I was talking about The church And the Commonwealth service was, um, was a really good example where um, the Queen comes in last. But what was interesting is you would expect the order of precedent there to be um, Prince William and Prince Harry, but actually um, Prince Harry was already seated, so they broke precedent because it was his last public engagement.
1: Yeah, um, there was much talked about
0: that one. And they flipped the whole thing around. And it, it just goes to show that um, doing what is right is, is often more important than, than doing the right thing so to speak. So it, it, to do the right thing for the occasion is more important than to follow the protocol. Circumstance can trump protocol. And, and that almost goes back to the point about etiquette, because etiquette is nothing more than showing care and consideration for other people. Whether, you, whether you're doing that one-on-one with a stranger you meet for the first time, or whether you're doing it at a state occasion, the whole point about etiquette is care and consideration for other people, showing respect to other people. And and as long as you keep that idea of care and consideration in your mind, you're not going to go far wrong.
1: So be a good person is essentially the underlying underlying message, right? That's our
0: message. That's that's what we preach at Du <laughs>
1: Next, next section is on how to dress, and this is uh, you know something that not a lot of us have cared a lot about in the last few weeks because we've been on lockdown and we've you know occasionally smartened up a bit for proper Zoom calls like we have today. So, uh, but Joy Angle asks. Hello, sorry, my question couldn't fit fit in the box. Don't worry, Joy. It is not a problem. There was so much talk about Kate and then Megan breaking royal protocol by wearing nylons, tights as we call them over here, or not, or wearing a hat or not, etc. But since they are royals, don't they set? Don't they themselves set the protocol?
0: Yes. <laughs> Simple answer. Uh, again, and like all these things, context is is everything. Um. And, and you'll find the more relaxed the event, the more relaxed they will be about protocol. Um, so yeah, you and, and things will change. Um, things evolve. Um, what is extraordinary about the royal family is its, its, its success. Uh, the fact, excuse me. <clears throat> what you'll find about the royal family is that its success is, it, and the fact that it is still popular and important um, in British society today is that they evolve and and that simple little example uh that was sent in in the form of the question is one example of yes things evolve there is nothing written down that says you can't wear nylons
1: but essentially I guess it's don't upset the queen it's if if, if it matters to the queen then do it and if it doesn't really matter to her then you've got a bit more latitude is that a fair a fair assessment because as the head of the firm as it were
0: yeah I think that's 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 true. Um, it's interesting in society now, we in the West aren't as deferential to older people um, as perhaps they are in, in uh, you know, the further East, east we go. Um, so often a lot of this is about being um, deferential to those people who have grown up with a set of values, beliefs, behaviours, um, and that you, you don't want to overtly challenge their behaviours. Um but of course if you if you don't evolve then then um you don't evolve your behaviours then then the family won't evolve. The fact the royal family will, will stand still, it will become irrelevant.
1: So this this question may bring both your military and your de Bretts hats into into use. So Nora in Canada says a question. Why did Prince Charles and Philip wear swords at their wedding? Yet Prince William and Harry didn't. Both William and Harry had the straps for the swords, but it was empty.
0: I think that's probably just down to when the photographs were taken. Um, without looking at the photographs, I would be astonished if they didn't go up the steps of um, of, of, um, of Westminster with, uh, without swords. And, and but protocol says that you always take your sword uh, out and, and leave it at the entrance to the church. Oh. So I would imagine she saw two lots of photographs. One. Um, of Prince Charles and the Duke of Edinburgh wearing swords on the way, and then another of um, Princes William and Harry without their swords, but in the church. So I would be pretty confident the swords would have been left at the church, at the entrance to the the abbey.
1: Note to the gallery, Dan Jackson, if you're there. Yeah, yeah. Could you possibly have a quick look for the pictures and mark this point, so that if the pictures are um, otherwise... We can redo that little bit.
0: I, uh, I, I can try. What am I looking for?
1: You're looking for pictures of William and Harry arriving for their weddings and whether they've got swords on the way in, but then don't have them in the church. And then potentially also, if Charles has a sword in the church.
0: i um. I'll do my best. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I think there's a thing called Google that might help you, hopefully.
0: Yes, well, thank, you. Yes, Wait, yes. thank you, Dan. What's, what really might agile. help there is actually whether they're wearing headdress, because typically the, the headdress and will come off when you enter any wedding at a church, if you're in, in uniform, um, and I've been lucky enough to go to a few of those, then then yes, you'll take off your headdress and, and uh, remove the sword. You'll keep it in its scabbard. And you'll leave that at the entrance to church. So if they're wearing headgear and have swords, Yes, then, it's, uh, it's just every photo I can find has has it taken on their left hand side rather than the right hand side. So I can't actually see. Ooh, sorry, anyway. the, sorry. The dirty little secret here, Rupert, is that <laughs> I, I couldn't care less about the royals. I don't know how I ended up <laughs> being being dragged into this. I'd be like, what, what am I looking for? Anyway, you guys carry on. I'll I'll butt back, butt back in if I find something. All right.
1: Thank you, Dan. Okay, so, Siobhan Bradshaw, simple one, hopefully, except it's probably really complicated. When should I wear a hat?
0: Goodness me, um, when to wear a hat.
1: So I know that I sometimes wear a hat at weddings if I feel like it. Possibly more likely to if it's in a church, even though that possibly feels even more impractical, particularly if it's big because you're all squeezing. Um, do I wear a hat otherwise? If my ears are cold, that's
0: what I wear. <laughs> a hat. Yeah. Let's, practicality is, is often a good place to start. But broadly speaking, when should I wear a hat? Yes, to a wedding or you can wear a fascinator. Um, and protocol dictates that you will keep your your hat or your fascinator on in church. And you keep it on up to the beginning of the reception. I think, if memory serves me correctly. You keep it on for the the, the meat and the grease at the beginning of the, the wedding, the lineup, as, as some people call it. And then the bride will will take off um, her 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 veil, um, and then and that's the, the cue for all the guests to take their hats and fascinators off. Um, you could wear it to Ascot. It. It's always a good good excuse. Uh, yeah. Dress up, enjoy it whenever you like.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, Jazzy 50 just asked, why didn't the Duchess of Sussex ever get to wear a tiara? So I guess this is a when do you get to wear a tiara question.
0: She did get to wear a tiara. Well, um, she, she did f- it once f- on her wedding f- day. She wore the Queen Mary uh, Diamond Bandeau tiara on her wedding day. The um, So tiaras generally are worn only at formal events. Um... And they are customarily worn only when you're married. So I would be surprised if we, um, yeah, maybe maybe she will wear one or t- on another formal occasion. But um, yes, generally speaking, you don't you don't wear it until you're married or or on your wedding day.
1: Because so, I know certainly that was when the. Meghan and Harry announced that they were leaving for some people that was a a sadness like we'll never get to see Meghan in another tiara now because I think when they were on their first royal tour and there were a couple of state dinners that they had which sometimes might have been an opportunity to wear a tiara maybe she just forgot to pack one or actually it was a possibly a statement of her style of I don't need to do this I'm not part of that tradition or I enjoyed having one for my wedding, but I don't want need one today. I'm just going to do my hair differently.
0: I think for me, there is um, there is a balance for all of us, which is that um, where dressing up is, is often a, a form of respect, a way of conveying respect for the event or the person hosting the event. Um, but by the same token, you also have to feel comfortable as well. Um, we're unusual in Britain that we have dress codes. And we might get an invite to a party, perhaps, and it will say lounge suits or cocktail dress or whatever it might be. Um, and we're we're odd in that we, as, as Brits, that we legislate for this. We actually write it down. A lot of countries wouldn't even think to write that down. Um, but nevertheless, um, you have to feel comfortable um, with, with whatever you're doing. And it's not mandatory to, to have to wear a tiara.
1: Very good. Um- my Best Vintage Life podcast asks, do you think the next coronation will feature faux fur in terms of peer robes and coronets? So I guess the question of real fur versus fake and again, that kind of sense of evolution and how society is changing and what is the norm and acceptable for different tiers?
0: I think, I don't know. So I'm, my, my guess I think is as good as anybody else's. I would be surprised... If that wasn't um, a factor, I mean, the point about the robes is that uh, they're they're very old, and inherited and passed down. Um, but there there will come a time when a peer says, "Look, I'm, I'm very happy to to wear the robes and dress up," but uh, and at that point they will they will commission um, robes featuring faux fur. Will anybody notice? Will anybody spot the difference? Who knows?
1: It's one of those things. It's very difficult to tell the difference unless somebody says says to you, or unless you're a far more fashion expert than I am, as has been noted in previous podcasts. So how to eat. Mm. And I think anybody who has ever watched Pretty Woman will know that this is often considered one of those minefields if you go to an event of how to deal with all of that. So Leslie asks, what is the etiquette in a royal state banquet?
0: Goodness me! Where do I start? Well, that was a huge, huge topic. Um, I could, I could, and sometimes do an entire session for two hours on the whole thing. Uh, don't start until the host, and don't drink finger bowl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that enough? Um, I think my 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 general guidance would be enjoy the occasion. Don't worry too much about it. And there are lots of simple little rules. So with like the cutlery, you start at the outside and you work your way in. But broadly speaking look around. What's everybody else doing? Um, and, and broadly, broadly copy that. Um, but I think people worry so much about the intricacies and, and there's not a huge amount to do, but critically, um, watch, watch what everybody else does and, and, and broadly speaking, reflect what everyone else is doing.
1: Abby McLeese asks, um, is it okay that at a host's requests, partners shouldn't sit together at dinner?
0: Goodness me. So this is, this is old school stuff. Um, and we, I think we did a little quiz on this in Debrett's with our readership and broadly speaking, people are like the idea that, um, when a couple are not married at a formal event, they sit together. When they are married, they're separated. And that's, that if you like, is the, that's the old school, um, etiquette. Um, I think I see the, the, even like the rhyme, the reason, the logic, the logic to it. Um, and, and again, it's always context specific. I mean, there was an interesting case in the army where um, officers were having dinners and they were inviting wives, they were inviting girlfriends and the young officers saying, Look, I don't get to see my girlfriend that much. And now I don't get to sit next to her at dinner. Could, uh, you know, could we, you know, could we change that? I don't get to see my wife that much. I don't get to sit. So y- broadly speaking, I think it's, It's it's wonderful to be able to meet new people, but if you're not spending much time sat next to the person you you love, then then I think you might feel slightly aggrieved by it. But it's normal, it's a normal process etiquette. I think
1: post-lockdown dinner parties, all of the couples are going to be split up at opposite ends of the <laughs> table because they will have seen plenty of each other. So,
0: yes, they, they, everyone else has much to catch up on. Yeah.
1: Yes, that's a very nice way of putting it. Lots to catch up on with other people. So, uh, Sigita asks, What do I do if I break the Queen's china by accident?
0: Say sorry. Yes, um, d- don't worry about it um, th- because I think if you go in almost worrying about what if I break the china, um, you forget to actually enjoy. The occasion to enjoy the company of the people you're you're sat with. Um, say sorry, offer to make amends. Excellent. This is
1: this is very reassuring. I'm less scared for that day when I do <laughs> get to meet the Queen. Um so the household you mentioned earlier about the equerry having to bow and walk backwards. So Jane Smith, listening in Australia, sent us a question a while back. He actually just missed our uh, previous episode with Robert Jobson about how the royal family works when we answered a load of other different questions. So do catch up with that episode if you haven't already, because it is another goodie. But anyway, Jane, thank you for your question. Sorry it's taken us so long to get to it, but... Rupert, could you please explain the role of an equerry? I have seen this word used in reference to someone assisting the queen in Angela Kelly's book. I have not heard of it before. Thank you. So, an equerry. Who are they?
0: And what do they do? An equerry is an assistant, and in um, in recent recent years, you know, the last two three hundred years, um, <laughs> it's, it's somebody military. So, all of the um, the equerries. Uh, working in, within the the royal family are all they're all military postings. So the Queen's equerry is a serving captain, um, and he he will do a tour as equerry to the Queen, and then he will go back and continue his military career. What do they do? I mean, they are um, assistants, and they they sort of look after program and diary. They look after military state and ceremonial. Occasions, inbound and outbound, ceremonial stuff with dignitaries coming in, uh, at investitures, uh, at visits, reconnaissance. If you think that the, the right-hand person to a member of the royal family is their private secretary, the equerry almost acts as a, an extension of that. And often the equerries will go out on accompanying the royals on visits. Um, but often they'll actually go and do a reconnaissance of where the royal is going ahead of time, so that they can they can help plan the day. Um, one of the one of the main things ECRIs do from the point of view from, from the military point of view is that members of the royal family have a number of um, military appointments, honorary colonels of this, honorary colonels of that, and the ECRIs will help coordinate that diary. They'll help coordinate that event, and they can be a very effective liaison between um, the private office uh, of the member of the royal family and and the military unit that um, they're responsible for, be it a visit, be it a, um, any any occasion. So yeah, come from military.
1: come from the military. Where do ladies-in-waiting come from?
0: By tradition, they would be friends. Um, they would be families known to the royal family and, and, and the, the member of the royal family would would have a closer relationship, a closer personal relationship with the lady-in-waiting. Um, The phrase seems to be dropping out of use now, um, and you're finding that um, ladies-in-waiting are are morphing into um, private secretaries. Okay, interesting. Or or, or, or assistants, and and they have... um, um, So Princess Catherine's um, assistant, and sometimes the label lady-in-waiting is applied to her, but she came from Saïd Business School, was chief operating officer, I think. So it gives you a sense of... Of what the expectation of, of a lady in waiting is now. It, a, they're not even using the title so much. But but also, it's very much about how um, how we can um, connect with the organisations that we deal with, whether it's it's charities, uh, whether it's it's business, whether it's society at large. How can we maximise the impact um, of the royal person, the best
1: effect? You beautifully answered the question from Kate Romph, really, of whether Camilla and Kate also have ladies-in-waiting like the Queen and what they do. So Kate has a, you said, has a sort of a private secretary who fulfills that role. More than anything. Yeah. And is Camilla similar or is she more of a lady-in-waiting girl? Do we know? Put you on the spot here. You
0: have put me on the spot there. Um, I did that and I could have even told you her name yesterday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, We're in the lockdown Zoom quiz. The, the, the role is... The, the, the general answer is the role is absolutely evolving, and and whether they use the title or not, um, it is less about being a, a personal friend and being a key member of the staff. That's, that's the critical thing.
1: So I think the, this next bit is going to be bang up your street because it's how to learn what to do or not, other than listen to this episode of Pod Save the Queen. So Natalie B asks, who teaches people these rules or how to behave? Um, Charlotte Jane asks, are finishing schools still popular for lo- young ladies as they were in days gone by? And Kerry Davis asks, how formally trained would a new wife or husband be on joining the royal family?
0: Goodness me. Um, are they popular? I don't know if the ladies think young ladies ever enjoyed them at all. Um, <laughs> 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 they sound horrific um, to my mind. Uh, the world has moved on. The short answer is no. I think there are a few, a few dusty old um, finishing schools on the shores of, of Lake Geneva or, or wherever it might be. But broadly speaking, the, the world has moved on. I've done a lot of work with um, with the next gen of wealthy families um, from all around the world, and girls, ladies are no longer being singled out for a decorative role. They, uh, they are having a proper role in the family, in business. Um, and some countries are, are embracing that more than others, but, but there's absolutely a move towards um, the, 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 the children in that important wealthy family having a proper role and, and not, not being um, decorative, um, not being there purely to support the husband. So, yes, the finishing schools still exist. And, and I wouldn't want to rubbish everything finishing schools teach. Uh, a lot of it's very interesting. A lot of it's of, of huge historical interest. Um, and some of them were were modernising and teaching the sorts of things that are going to be of use to, to anybody. Um, it, it's interesting to so say, do finishing schools um, cater for men as well as women? I haven't found any yet, but may, maybe maybe they are.
1: And in terms of otherwise, how... How do people kind of learn all of this stuff?
0: You, A lot of it you absorb. I think there's a perception that um, when you join an important family, or be, it, be it the British royal family or any other royal family, that there is a training school that they they dust off being a Royal 101 and go through it chapter by chapter. That's, that's not true at all. I mean, I know from my work, with important families, the things that they really value aren't how to hold a fish knife. The things they really value are confidence, personal presence, positive impact, public speaking, media skills, mental resilience, all of that, that's the stuff that, that, that they really have to work on. The rest of it is, um, is less important. Yes, you need to know a little bit about protocol, and that's why they have really useful people in their teams around them who can brief them on. protocol for a specific occasion um training (laughs) training is for dogs and horses Um, the (laughs) idea that um that you would train members of the royal family yeah that doesn't that doesn't really ring true at all it's
1: learning by practice i guess and i think that's probably something that we have seen with with kate over the years is how she has really developed and changed as she's grown into her role and become far more confident as a public speaker. And then actually now really on the on the sort of personal one-to-one Zoom calls, or you know, which end up being one-to-many because everybody gets to see them, she's even more confident and just
0: very natural. It's incredibly hard um, being yourself when there's a lot of people looking at you. Um, a lot of the work I do um, is almost like being a public life coach. It's, it's coaching people for being in the, in the public eye, whether they're the wealthy, important families, whether it's it's leaders of businesses, the skills are, are, are there's a huge crossover there. Um, and it's, it's being able to project yourself trying to be natural when you're hugely under pressure, when you're under scrutiny, when you know people are watching your every move. That's, that's the tricky bit and that's the people that that, that's the thing that people really really value coaching for
1: history and change is our penultimate segment so you've you've mentioned earlier about how britain's kind of a net exporter of etiquette but also that we've taken on other things from other cultures so courtney asks how was the european perception of etiquette affected by colonization and globalization that'd be interesting
0: now that's not just Courtney's sociology homework, is it? Well, <laughs> um, That sounds, sounds like an essay question, Courtney. Um, 3,000 words by the end of term. <laughs> Gosh. That, I mean that is a huge, huge philosophical um, thing to think about. Um, and I've actually touched on a number of the ideas. number of the ideas that, that etiquette is British, and we've seen that it absolutely isn't. Every country has it. And I think, as I said, as, as the empire British Empire expanded, we were net exporters of of culture of etiquette. but actually um, now as a as a country we are I think net importers and we're we're adapting greatly. Um, so the, so the end of um, colonialization I, I guess Britain has been I mean Britain traditionally has always been a absorbing other cultures anyway, uh, I think um, even more so now than ever. People often talk about um, international etiquette as if there is a thing called international etiquette. Um, there is etiquette, which is right for a particular situation at a particular time. Um, and and that that will continue to evolve and it's very hard to, to pin down. Um, as I travel the world and I talk about etiquette, that lots of people say, well, British etiquette, it's the, it's the best. It's the most important, and, I, and I, I dismiss that. Your own etiquette is important to you. Um, and I think being respectful of other people's etiquettes, behaviours, protocols, that's really how to connect with them.
1: How do you think the younger generation are changing things now, and does it matter?
0: Uh, it would matter if they didn't, <laughs> would be my, uh, my simple answer on that. Um, people have to recognize elements of themselves in the important people of, of state. So whether that is politicians or whether it is members of the royal family or business leaders. And and I think the royal family are reflecting, even simple things like dress and the way they dress. If there's an opportunity for them to dress um, less formally, then, then the younger the members of the royal family will will embrace that opportunity. I think that's a, a a perfect example, but they're less. Um, there are little things in protocol that perhaps the more older members of the royal family would do, and the younger ones don't. Um,
1: Important question for all of us: mm. What is the etiquette of social
0: media? Because it maybe needs some. <laughs> a <bit more> than <laughs> um, I think uh, don't say anything that you wouldn't say to anybody's face, I think is a great place to start. Um, if you have a disagreement, do it privately. Um, even and even if it's lighthearted, just be, be very wary that even lighthearted stuff can get misinterpreted. I think the greater your reach, the more careful you have to be. Um, and, and, and yes, it's fantastic that people use it for discussion, for campaigning, but what they forget is that Everybody is entitled to an opinion. Everybody else who has an opinion different to yours should nevertheless be encouraged to express it. And part of the trouble with the etiquette of social media is a very clumsy tool for having a discussion.
1: Yes often often the case but thankfully our lovely pod save the queen listeners get in touch with brilliant questions and lovely comments and we love to hear all of them so that is fabulous and thank you for being such great listeners um finally some lessons for life for all of us alexis landrum asks how would you address a thank you card royal or otherwise uh,
0: this is an interesting idea some people say that the the term dear has has fallen out of out of use um, and and it, it is becoming less popular, but, but beginning a letter, beginning an email, dear so-and-so, dear Anne, uh, I think is a lovely thing to do. Um, in terms of addressing it, um, thank you cards, generally speaking, will fall into the category of um, a, a social piece, because generally speaking, if you've been to a, a state occasion, you wouldn't um, reasonably expected to write a a thank you card um, there will be follow-up letters whenever there's a state visit for example so when a, a president visits they will send a, a personal thank you note um, there are protocols um, actually how to address members of the royal family is all laid down in the de handbook shameless plug for a handbook there but it's a weighty tome. but it, it really is that point it's almost the connection between the peerage which is the catalogue of um, people who hold peerages including the royal family who are at the front of the book um, and actually the handbook, um, Modern Manners, uh, Correct Form, British Style, that, that explains how you make that connection and everything in there um, is how to do it. So there are lots of different formats about how you would address letters, formal, informal, and it's, it's all in there. But heartfelt. Heartfelt.
1: Hmm. Morgan Ellis asks, the best way to eat and drink with lipstick on?
0: Not um, an area of expertise for me. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't be too generous in applying it before you eat. That that seems to me um, counterproductive. Um, elegantly, I think. I think everything you do when eating at a really formal event is elegance is the key. Um, and, and to me, it seems crazy to put lipstick on and then leave a big red lipstick mark on your champagne glass or wine glass or whatever it might be. So, yes, apply apply sparingly before you eat. Um, more than that, I think I would have to consult some of my, my, um, my tutors for expertise on that.
1: The one advantage of if you leave a dirty great lipstick mark on a glass is if you put it down, you know exactly which know. one yours is. <laughs> um, and finally, so Kitty Hublin asks, how do you actually – Update to Brett's. I mean, the way you were talking about it earlier, it made me think that it's like the IMDb of 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 society. Do you want that as your new marketing
0: slogan? You can have that. that. Let me let me just take that down, Anne. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, uh, And and let me yes, let me borrow that. It's it's it's, it is to use the old cliche. It's like painting the fourth bridge. Um, It's it's an ongoing process. How how is it done? So it's done continually. Um, it's done by monitoring the um, birth, death, marriages of, in the newspapers. It's done by mailing out to all the people who are in the peerage and getting them to update. Many of them just update as they go. We've, we've just had you know, a new member of the family. Could you could you put that in? Um, our our experts keep their ear to the ground. Um, Lots of lots of ways of doing it. Um, but in many ways, uh, and, and in the past, it used to be writing out letters, we still write to some people, uh, where we don't have a, an email. And it's finding the right person in the family, who may not be the peer themselves, but somebody who's keen to, to keep the family record up to date. So lots and lots of ways of doing it. And it, it is yeah, it is a long, old, difficult, detailed task.
1: It's a fascinating one, I'm sure. Anything that involves people often is, and finding out all sorts of things. Rupert, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you for sparing so much time for our listeners, for me, for everything. And if you could, if you could leave us with one last little message, what would it? What would it be?
0: It is this idea that etiquette is nothing more than care and consideration for other people and the idea that there isn't one set of behaviours that applies to every situation. Um, it's, it's highly contextual um, and it's, etiquette is a lovely way of, of connecting with people.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been an absolute treat. I think we can all go ahead into, whether it's our our lockdown dinners with our other halves or our children or our dogs or whoever it may be, um, and then hopefully at some stage back into the world, reassured that we can um, approach it with elegance and kindness and that is a good way to be so Rupert thank you again very much and listeners we will back again we will be back again very soon so until next time
0: I'll the queen.